Just a warning before we get started. This episode touches on eating disorders and self-harm. We discussed that from minute nine to 14. So if you'd like to sit that part out, you can just skip that section. Okay, let's start. When we rolled up to the event, I started kind of like being surprised at how energetic everyone was and how happy everyone was. I'm like, I've never seen people so happy before. I've never seen people like give me a random high five. They're like, hey there, welcome to the event. I hope you have a great day. I was just like, what is up with these people? This is weird. And so I started participating in the event and learning that they were intentionally driving out positive energy so that they could feel more positive energy. I started learning about the exchange of what you give is what you get in life and the way that you view the world matters. It affects your entire state and your state affects your actions. Your actions affect your destiny. This is Finding Founders. I'm Samuel Donner, and that was Rachel Bell recounting her experience at a Tony Robbins seminar. Today, she runs her own life coaching business, which has helped thousands of people and is intensely profitable. In just one 30-day period, she earned over $1 million. Definitely a big payday, which segues cheesily into her podcast, Payday with Ray Ray, where she discusses marketing, social issues, and her success as a life coach. As we look at her life and the mantra she chooses to live by, we'll notice that some may come off cliche, but she still communicates value through them. And that's because they were anchors in her own life. Having grown up in a poor religious family with an extremely busy and demanding father, she struggled with self-actualization. At the core of her struggles was the fact that no matter what she did, what kind of validation she received, she never felt truly free. Rachel, like a surprising number of us, struggled through depression, but came out on the other side a wiser woman. We'll get there soon enough, but first stop, the Bell Family Farm, Rachel's spiritual haven. Act one, through the looking glass. Growing up on a farm in Colorado was one of my biggest dreams come true. I was so excited and so grateful to go to a place where I could finally live out all my horse girl dreams. What I didn't know is that it was going to be so much hard work. I would spend the summers baling hay and loading them up onto a trailer stacked like 10 bales high, unloading them and then trying to sell them and doing all that stuff, feeding the horses, taking care of them, shoveling manure, doing all the things that you know you have to do to maintain livestock and agriculture. And I was just obsessed with it. I loved working hard and I loved doing it for the purpose of serving another living being. developed and grew, I started learning that my dad was always gone because he was working his ass off. And I remember asking my mom, why is he so, like, he's gone all the time. Why? She's like, oh, he's on a work trip. He's working. He's working. He's working. So my conditioning of money and working was always like, man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. You have to invest years into something that you hate in order to get any amount of financial gain. As a kid, I processed it all as like, I need to be perfect and I need to be totally on my game and I need to work as hard as he's working to prove that I'm worth his time. 
And my dad has incredibly high standards. It's one of his major gifts. I would draw pictures. I would create songs. I was very, very artistic. So I would write these short stories and novels about horses, of course. All that stuff just to show him that I knew how to make my way in life. And I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time. But looking back, I can clearly see that everything I showed him was an effort to earn his approval and his attention because I knew that that was scarce. Even from a young age, Rachel understood that love does not come easily. She desperately wanted to prove to her father, and even more so to herself, that her time and her ideas mattered, even if he rarely gave her the company that she craved. Internalizing her father's high standards, Rachel set out to validate herself through song dance and even drawings of her favorite animals. In little time, she was able to turn her love for animals into something legitimate, a positive space through which she could reach people from across the internet. When I was 12, that's when I started bringing my creations and my imagination to the internet. And so what that ended up looking like was since I was homeschooled, living on a farm, I didn't really have many opportunities to make friends or have social interactions with people my age. I was really hanging out with adults all the time. And when I discovered the internet and started learning how to surf the World Wide Web, my entire doors got just blown off. I was like, whoa, I'm going to do an internet. (laughs) Well, I'm going to do a book. Oh. And so from the age of 11 or 12, I would have like an allocated amount of screen time, maybe 30 minutes or an hour, and I would use that time to explore the internet. One of the things that I found when I was 12 was this wiki thing. You basically plug and play a template and then build out your own little community. I created this website for me and my friends to talk about a book series about wild cats named Warriors by Aaron Hunter. And if anyone's read that book, you immediately understand a part of my soul that nobody else will ever. And so we started role-playing online, just creating storylines together, contributing. Like I would post one paragraph of my character that I created, this cat. Then they would enter in creating a story with me with their character. And before I knew it, this site began to grow. And it was weird because new members started joining. And I was like, what? Well, okay, I need to make some rules around here. Created some guidelines. We created different clans for people to be a part of. We created an organization system. I allocated leadership positions to people. Nobody taught me to do this. I just learned about this allocation of leadership and positions and responsibilities from the book that I was reading. So it was crazy. I just put people in these positions and then the site started flourishing. It grew to over a thousand active members. And it was insane because during that upswing of having like all of a sudden thousands of people coming to the site to role play with you because you're such a good writer and whatever, and they're complimenting you all the time. And you're 12 years old, by the way, you just start to have this insane experience of like, what is my life? This is amazing. I imagine you would want to show your dad some of that creations. Did you not show him or did you? No, I didn't show him. I mean, the internet was this really scary thing where parents had a big concern about like, well, who's talking to my kid? You know, I wasn't allowed to have a MySpace or a Facebook account until I was a teenager. 
it was a thriving community. It was one of the most favorite memories that I have about my life because I really got to understand, oh, like somehow I naturally magnetized a bunch Mm -hmm. of people to follow this story. Like, I think that at one time, this is ultimately what got me uh, off the site was I said um, something like, fuck you if I can cuss on here. (laughs) I, I said that it was the first time I had ever cussed. Then someone hacked my site, totally wiped the whole thing. And I remember just crying my eyes out. It was on New Year's Eve. And so the only person that was techie that could potentially figure out how to get it back was my dad. And so I had to come clean with him and be like, hey, dad, I have this site and there's like a thousand people on it. And I said something and oh, someone hacked it and I really just want to fix it. Can you help me? And he is shocked. He logs into my account, looks through all my messages and is borderline impressed, but also horrified <laughs> at what I had created. <laughs> Wait, did you ever get the site back? I did. It was active up until I think around four years ago or three years ago. And so people will find me sometimes to this day. I don't know how. They'll say, hey, are you Cinderpaw or whatever? Yeah, well, you saved my life or you helped me through a really hard time. And I imagine that we were all trying to escape something through creating this fantasy together. Cinderpaw, a.k.a. Rachel, learned to value the fun muscle that we all put aside in the name of achievements as we grow older. Too many of us get caught up in the rush to excel. Time spent playing turns into time spent studying, which then in turn becomes time spent working. Decompressing, working out our fun muscles, is often deprioritized, which causes those muscles to atrophy. As Rachel is still discovering today, the platform she'd created for free self-expression had not only created many friendships, but it saved many lives as well. But first, she had to deal with her own demons. Throughout the years of high school, I was going to a private Christian high school, which was incredibly strict, a very strict view of how to be. And if you're not in this box of behavior of what's good, then you're bad. And for me, I'm a very free spirit. I like to be myself. And that person that I am doesn't always fit inside that box. And so I grew up feeling like I'm just bad, like I'm just a bad person and I'm going to be punished eternally for the way that I am. And it was just an interesting experience to go through that schooling because I felt oppressed. I felt oppressed by the idea that there was only one way or that if you're not this, then you're bad. If you're not this, then you're evil. If you're not this, then you're going to be punished. I couldn't get on board with that level of polarity because spiritually I felt stunted And that manifested in so many different ways. And I started adopting some really self-destructive habits. So one of the things that I remember um, was really consumptive for me and destructive was I would have an obsession with controlling my eating habits and manifested a couple of eating disorders. So I would go through this cycle of starving myself and then I would go through a cycle of binging because my body was so starved of nutrients and needed something. And when I started eating, I couldn't stop. And then I would go through a a cycle of purging and making myself vomit all the food. And then I would go through the same thing, feeling so guilty and so ashamed. I would continue to starve myself, binge, purge, starve, binge, purge. And then I adopted other self-harm habits and I was hurting myself physically. 
nobody knew. And I would hide these things by being very strategic about the placement of when and where I would do these things. It was like one of the only secrets I've ever had in my life was how badly I was treating myself. During that time, I had a really stressful relationship with my dad. And we would get in arguments sometimes, and I would feel so incredibly frustrated by the fact that I was not seen for who I am, but that I had to just be like perfect. And I had all this pressure at school about like, be perfect. Don't say this. Don't do that. Don't wear this. Don't blah, blah, blah. I had to be buttoned up in uniforms every single day. And even then, there was always something I was doing wrong. It was very, very oppressive for someone who's so artistic and free like me. When my parents found out, it was completely unintentional. Remember, I've told no one this. Nobody knows. But I had written in my diary one day when I was really angry, uh, something about I'm going to do X, Y, Z to myself, and that will fix it. And at a certain point, I was at an emotional break where I decided, you know, if nobody's going to see me for who I truly am and I'm worthless, which is what I truly believed at that time, then what's even the point of being here? You know, I might as well just like end it all. And then maybe everyone will learn their lesson. That was my mindset at the time. Rachel was feeling increasingly more invisible. She had an outlet as an online community builder with her alter ego Cinderpaw, but sometimes these virtual outlets can't make up for the emptiness in real life. Her parents, seeing pain and confusion in their daughter, tried to find something that would change her outlook on life. They decided to turn to a man who was an entrepreneur, a number one New York Times bestselling author, philanthropist, and the nation's number one life and business strategist. A person who for more than four and a half decades has helped millions of people using warmth, humor, and the transformational power of personal development events. That man was Tony Robbins. I was also feeling like just such a burden and broken, like knowing that my parents were trying to make it this fun thing for the whole family to go. But I felt like I was just like the project of everyone. And I felt so exposed and so vulnerable that my deepest, darkest secret was shared with my parents. And I was just at this seminar that was supposed to help rewire my mind. I just felt like a total project, like a total burden. And when we rolled up to the event, I started kind of like being surprised at how energetic everyone was and how happy everyone was. I'm like, I've never seen people so happy before. I've never seen people like give me a random high five. They're like, hey there, welcome to the event. I hope you have a great day. I was just like, what is up with these people? And so I started participating in the event and learning that they were intentionally driving out positive energy so that they could feel more positive energy. I started learning about the exchange of what you give is what you get in life and the way that you view the world matters. It affects your entire state and your state affects your actions. Your actions affect your destiny. And so I realized that if I wanted to have a different destiny in my life, number one, it was possible. Number two, it was up to me to control and manage my state, my physiology, my language, and my thoughts. And that was the moment where I realized I needed to change. I decided to do whatever it took to end my eating disorder, my disordered eating habits, and then stop self-harming. I decided at that event to grow and to discover and to pursue like some type of life path that felt important and meaningful to me. 
but I know I want to make other people feel the way that this guy makes me feel, which is possibility. Because he was saying the word fuck, he was saying shit, he was saying damn, he was saying bitch. And I was like, oh my gosh, you can be super cool, super smart, super impactful and inspiring, and say fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Tony Robbins' irreverence starkly contrasted Rachel's strict religious upbringing. He completely shattered her image of success. You could be carefree, curse even, and still be well-respected and accomplished. This was the type of career and joy Rachel wanted for her life. She realized that her self-destructive behavior was a product of a fixed mindset, a mindset leading her to falsely believe that her basic abilities, intelligence, talents, and life situation are just fixed traits. Thus, Rachel adopted a growth mindset, believing her talents and abilities can be developed through effort, action, and persistence. This shift in perspective is important because it has a lasting impact on future success. In fact, a study done at Stanford University showed that students were three times more likely to excel when they had a growth mindset like Rachel's. That said, Rachel was standing at the entrance of a long, dark, and daunting tunnel. Nonetheless, she kept her eyes set on her goals and began marching towards her challenges fearlessly. Let's track back to her mind-opening encounter with acid. Act two, direct messaging the universe. Well, after I came back from my Tony Robbins experience, I was just trying to tell everyone about it. Nobody was listening. Nobody cared. Started getting really frustrated by this idea that I could have something that was actually really helpful and nobody would listen. And I was very fascinated by that. Like, why are people not listening to this amazing information? But I digress. One day I was offered two tabs of acid and... Wait, wait, how? how? <laughs> like after school one day, someone was like, hey, I have some acid. Do you want to take it? Before that experience, I had no prior knowledge or practice with mind-altering substances. Not weed, not alcohol, not anything. So LSD was my first introduction into anything but sober. And I got a journey, to put it lightly. What I learned through having an experience of getting outside of my conscious configuration of my patterns, like the way that I was raised my entire life, just this is the way, this is the way, this is the way, or the way that I had read a book and learned something. I'm like, okay, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way. It was all linear thinking and it was so engrooved because I had gone down these patterns so much in my life that I had no idea that it was possible to zoom out and look from above at everything that I was doing, everything that I was thinking, everything that I was and am and ever will be, and seeing myself from a perspective of pure pure consciousness, pure awareness. And it doesn't sound that climactic when you explain it like that, but it's significant if you've ever been there. And through that experience, I realized so many things about myself that were integrating and changing and evolving and who I wanted to be. I had visions of the future of what I wanted to create. I saw myself uh, in a forest with a few of my best friends. And at the time, I didn't have any like best friends that I really felt close with. And I didn't really think that I would ever have best friends. But I saw myself in a forest with some best friends 
and we were around a campfire and we were just enjoying being ourselves around each other. And it was such a relieving feeling. And then I also saw myself on a stage uh, speaking about something with a lot of confidence and conviction. I saw myself uh, like just being free in nature and having an easy, abundant life. I just had passion. That's it. I had a raw passion. And with that passion, I was opened up to the realization that that's all I needed. There was something that whispered to me in that experience, whether it was God or my higher self or just my consciousness and self-belief saying, that's all you need, Rach. Like you have got this. You can have all of this in your life. You just need to stay true to what you know is your superpower, which is passion. And so I remember going back to school after their experience a couple days later and not quite knowing how to explain the way that I was seeing everything at that time because I got awakened to so much spiritual access. I started to understand what they were saying in chapel. I'm like, oh yeah. Oh, totally. Oh, 100%. Yes, this all makes sense. God is legit. God is everything. You know, it was amazing. And I couldn't tell anyone that I had that mind-blowing experience and why I was so happy all of a sudden because I would be expelled. So it was another thing that I just kind of kept to myself and um, benefited from. Rachel's trip on LSD catapulted her beyond self-limiting thoughts and into an entirely foreign state of mind. Revolutionary thinker Aldous Huxley tremendously valued the benefits of stepping into a psychedelic reality. In his book, Doors of Perception, he says that we can see things, quote, not as they appear to a human being obsessed with words and notions, but as they are apprehended directly and unconditionally. LSD gave Rachel the opportunity to detach from the world she knew and look at her life with the unbiased clarity Huxley describes. Her eyes were open to the power of her brain and the malleability of her reality. She could see the bounds of her social conditioning and discard the constructs that were thwarting her raw passion from reaching its full potential. The Tony Robbins event paired with this experience on LSD had freed her mind from the burdens and constraints she had given herself. She could look to a future that held limitless potential. A guiding example of this life would be Tony Robbins. I made a list of careers that maybe I would be good at and maybe that I would want to do. And one of those things was, I just wrote down Tony Robbins because I didn't know what the hell his job title <laughs> is. I'm like, Tony Robbins, that's not really a job title, but like whatever he does, I want to do that. So what I did is I did some research and I looked up what does Tony Robbins do? And he was described online as a life coach. And so I was like, oh, a life coach? Are other people life coaches? That sounds like a big undertaking. I don't know if I want to be a life coach, but that would probably be the best thing to do if I was working my way towards anything, honestly. Life coach? That's pretty badass. So I started looking up a directory online of like life coaches in Colorado. And I took down all their contact information. I emailed every single one of them. I believe I emailed like 109 people. Presented myself as, hey, um, this is my story. I'm 16 or 17 years old at the time. And I just want to learn about how to become a life coach. I know that's what you do. I found you through this website and I just would really appreciate 15 minutes of your time. And I just want to ask you some questions. Thank you. 
Yeah. And then 30 or 20 of them said yes to an interview. And the answers that I got were very, very diverse. Some people said, you don't need a certification, you need life experience. So like, don't even try until you're 40 years old. And I was like, what am I going to do in the meantime? Life experience. Then other people were like, oh my gosh, yeah, you should totally be a life coach. That's your passion. You should just go for it. That's when I started realizing, oh, this is an unregulated industry and everyone's just making it up as they go. And there's really no way to go down this path. Like, how do I even become an online coach and know that I'm doing good work in the world? How do I know that my skills are up to par with what my clients need? How do I know that I'm ready for this? I did not know. My first playbook after those interviews was to secure a job with a coach, someone who was ideally working with the type of clientele that maybe I could work with too. And the only thing that really came to mind about what I wanted to do was helping other people with the problems that I just got over. And so I started Googling and researching all these companies. I found one in Australia called Free Spirit Girl. And they help teen girls with body image, self-esteem, confidence, and leadership. Uh, and I just lost my mind and emailed the founder, got to know her, got on two interview calls and said, I'm going to fly out and I want to volunteer at your event for free. Um, can I please do that? And then you can figure out if I can work for you. There were no concrete steps to becoming a life coach, but with a growth mindset like Rachel's, there was no need for any. She didn't need to source information from a traditional institution. She just needed to tap into the wealth of information on the internet. Many view their lives in school as a purgatory, a waiting period they have to sit through before pursuing what they actually want to do. But Rachel, with a spirit that never conformed to rigid institutions, had a passion that could not wait. She began crafting her own education, one that was free from a prescribed standardized system and was instead tailored to her personal values and passions. When I discovered Free Spirit Girl, I immediately saw myself in that company. I love the founder as well. The founder was named Katie she was a, just a firecracker woman, super integrated and inspiring, and had gone through similar struggles as I had with body image and things of that nature. I reached out to her, I volunteered at her event, I flew out right after high school. I moved out there and started living basically on my own in a totally foreign country, not knowing what it was like to be an adult. I didn't really know where to get a place to stay or how to get a job out there or anything like that. I didn't know how to set up my bank accounts. I didn't know anything. And so I basically worked unpaid as an intern for a year for this company while I was working side jobs as a barista or doing some online graphic design, anything that I could do to scrape together the cash that I needed to pay my $300 rent bill every month. I found a lot of opportunities for monetization through the work that I was doing unpaid for this company. So one of the first things the founder put me on was social media. And she'd be like, make these graphics, write these captions, post every day, twice a day. And so I would. And the account would grow and I would start using hashtags and just being fascinated with how to grow the account. And I would just start implementing some growth tactics and it worked like a charm. 
So I developed that account and we started growing. We put on live events together. So I got a lot of experience in marketing and email writing and learning about marketing through reading a bunch of books to improve her company. And I remember I wanted a meal plan from this vegan fitness trainer, but it was $300. I didn't have that. And so I remember just being like, hey, like, do you want me to manage your social media account for a month? And in exchange, you give me the meal plan? And she said, oh, yeah, for sure. Please do. And so I started creating a bunch of graphics for her. I posted twice a day for her. Her account grew by like 7,000 followers. Wow. And she wow. was really interested in continuing. So initially, it started as like a free trade. I remember thinking, wow, if I wanted to charge her for another month because she wants to continue, what would I even charge? And so I started at 100 bucks a month for posting twice a day and writing all the captions and growing you by 7,000 followers a month. Sounds pretty good. I can see why she said yes. I'm like, great, I got my first client. That's cool. And she referred me to a friend. I got referred to a few other people and just started realizing that this was kind of a business, but that I was only one person. So I had to stop eventually. I had to just be like, this is too much to manage. I'm not getting paid enough. I don't want to raise my prices because then I'll lose all my clients. And I wasn't in a business sense mature enough to develop my business. Instead, I was like overwhelmed by it. And so I just said, you know, I'm not taking on any more work right now. I need to focus on my internship and I need to just start this coaching business. What were you learning from Free Spirit Girl? I was learning coaching skills. So Katie, the founder, was certified up and down with all these different modalities and would take me through these processes and teach me what she knew about how to facilitate a coaching session. And through doing multiple events with her and traveling all over Australia to facilitate these events, I started to see real time that a teenage girl could come walking into the room and be completely anti-everything of what was happening. And but by the end of the weekend, she didn't want to go home because she felt so loved and so seen, so understood, and ultimately accepted. And I realized that transformation truly can only take place when you're sitting and providing a loving and accepting energy. If that's not present, then transformation can't take place. That was my number one takeaway from working with Katie. And I still keep that principle in my coaching practices to this day. Love and acceptance is the only thing that can fuel long-lasting transformation. Rachel believes that true transformation can't take place without love and acceptance. And she was now in the position to provide this for others. For the teenage girl, not too different from herself a few years before, who might show up heels dug in, unsure of what comes next. Rachel learned through Free Spirit Girl that love is a transformative property, and she was eager to channel this fresh knowledge into the lives of others within and outside of her community. She witnessed the all-encompassing energy of acceptance and how it influenced the lives of those around her. It wasn't about recognition or success. It was about the opportunity to unite and heal. And this is what she set out to do moving forward. For a long time, I wanted to ignore the fact that people wanted Instagram growth from me because it wasn't something I was passionate about. I didn't like sitting behind a computer or a phone 
two iPads and logging into all these different accounts and posting and then just not feeling like I was making a tangible change in people's lives. Coaching was really the reason why I started on this whole entire career path. And so I made this awesome flyer. I posted it and nobody hits me up. I posted it on Facebook. I said, hey, I'm doing this thing. It's going to be amazing. If you want to learn how to love yourself, I've got this self-love event. It's called The Art of Self-Love. And it's $40. And here's my address on the internet. And uh, please show up and bring your teenage girls. You know, I was really speaking to parents. Hey, if you want your daughter to learn about these things, please come. Nobody hit me up. I didn't really have any ideal client avatars in my audience. I just had people from high school that were like, what, Rachel? We remember you. You weren't like this. (laughs) And I ended up getting, I think, six girls at my first event and made 120 bucks. It was great, but that ruined me because I was like, 120 bucks in one day? Why am I going to go work at Chick-fil-A again? You know, if I really just built out events and got people to come and I did a really good job delivering and I gave them information that helped, maybe this could be my job. But then I remembered all the life coaches I interviewed that were like, you're never going to be full time. So I realized something had to give. I needed to learn something. And that thing was going to have to be sales and marketing. If I ever wanted to go full-time doing what I love in any field, in any career, it would be required for me to learn how to sell myself and how to describe what it is I do. Because if you haven't noticed, it's kind of hard to get paid for something you can't describe. That's what began my exploration into this field of sales and marketing. And I started understanding why people were demanding the Instagram growth that I was previously servicing. They wanted to grow their business. They knew that marketing was important. I didn't know that at the time. I thought I was just doing them a good favor, but really they were marketing their businesses. And so I realized that I was going to have to learn everything that I could about sales and marketing so that I could eventually do what I love full time. Otherwise I'd be still working at Chick-fil-A and that just was not a reality that I could live with. The prospect of heading back to work at Chick-fil-A was a reality that Rachel could not live with. So she knew it was time to get serious about the reality that she did want. She had a message, but she didn't have a plan. Rachel's first attempt at hosting a self-love seminar was loosely organized and produced a small profit, but it wasn't futile. In what could have been a discouraging moment, Rachel saw an opportunity for growth. She recognized that in order to promote the skills she had to offer, she had to be able to market them. But what exactly were these skills that she needed to define? What could she contribute that people would want to invest in? I was so overwhelmed by all these things. Oh my gosh, finding a niche, doing market research. This is really what it takes. I don't just post things online and have clients come to me. Damn, it it just started to become really real how complex it could be to grow a business and to be self-employed. So I had to really buck up and allow myself to find a deeper purpose for why I wanted to do this. And I had to, at some level, come clean with myself about what do I do really well that people want. Coaching was one of those things. But I tried that so many times through hosting different events and having no one show up. 
and I did not know how to market and sell myself at all. So I said, what do I know how to sell? And what do people want? Instagram growth. Family friends or people who had businesses like, hey, yeah, I have a hockey puck business. Can you please run the Instagram for me? I don't get it. I'm like, okay, great. So I would do things like that. I would be waking up at like five in the morning and going to bed at midnight and posting almost every hour of the day on all these different client accounts. I remember at one point I had two iPads and then an iPod and then my phone. And I remember I could log into, I think, two accounts at a time on each device. And so that was my client roster, basically, was all these devices. I would just be hustling all day, all night. And I started really learning more about Instagram growth. It started to become more fascinating and high pressure because if I wasn't growing my client's account for some reason, I needed to figure it out quick. And so I started exploring, you know, all these different communities and forums about what is Instagram growth? How do you do it? What's working right now? And I realized that viral growth was something that was popping off and becoming very, very sufficiently attractive to people who would pay a high ticket price. People would approach me and say, do you know how to make this go viral? Do you know how to grow an account by 10K per month? And I was like, I, are you asking me to buy you followers? And they're like, no, I want real people. And I was like, um, I'll figure it out. Let's, let's try it. I started running experiments where I would have people go viral and it worked. My first most major success with a client was this artist that I was working with. She quit her job to be a full-time artist right when we started working together. And I said, okay, I'm going to make this Instagram amazing. This lady just quit her job at Goldman Sachs. And it was like a big deal that she wanted to go full-time on Instagram, that she was investing her savings into my service. So I said, great, let's figure this out. And I ran all my viral strategies on her account for, I want to say, two months before we saw the first success. But when that first success happened, it went so viral. It was this drawing of cartoon illustration of her putting a bunch of mozzarella cheese on her spaghetti at a restaurant. (laughs) And it went so viral because it it had some joke attached to it. And it was really funny. When you say so viral, what does that mean? Like a hundred thousand likes from an account that had 2000 followers, probably, you know, it went up to like 20K and then went up to uh, 40K. I think now she has like 70K followers. She just keeps going viral. So that was my first like major viral success where I just kept refreshing the page and it was just going off. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. This viral growth is amazing. Now here's the problem. It was great for her because she was an artist and she just wanted a book deal. So the numbers mattered for her. If I tried to make a business with an e-commerce product go viral and they would have the same results where I'm refreshing and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. They would email me back and be like, great, but we've only made 17 sales. Viral does not equal monetization. Viral doesn't exactly equal a targeted audience. And that was a big wake up call for me where I was like, Oh man, if I want to work with businesses, they're going to care about the backend numbers, the ROI, not just the vanity metrics. And that's what I really need to dial in. So again, my journey into sales and marketing went even deeper. I had to learn about monetization, about sales funnels. I had to learn about marketing sequences and everything that I could integrate into a Instagram account to generate an equal, if not more ROI for the marketing efforts. 
what happened for you, like financially? Oh, financially, I mean, I got to experience the feeling of having 10K in my bank account. Financially, I got to finally experience the feeling of pretty much doing what I love, almost. Like, I love helping people, but also getting rewarded handsomely for it and being offered money. Like, having people coming, knocking to my digital door and saying, hey, I heard what you did with this person, I want that. And it was a beautiful experience for me after many different business offshoots of wanting to try something because I was in such deep resistance to this idea of managing a bunch of Instagram accounts. Once I finally listened to what the market wanted, it all just worked. So I would say that my lifestyle at that time was not sustainable whatsoever. And I knew I didn't have anyone else to cover me. If I got sick or if I didn't have phone access one day, then my clients' accounts would suffer. That's when I realized I needed to hire someone. And as soon as I did that, I realized, oh, now it's not just Rachel Bell's Instagram service, it's an agency. When I stopped resisting the fact that people wanted Instagram growth and I integrated viral growth into my strategy, I was able to generate $120,000 that year. And it was amazing. It was incredible. It's the idea of ceasing to resist that resonates the most with me. It's almost like Rachel was in an ocean current and rather than attempting to swim against it, she decided to drift with the waves and let it guide her to some other place along the shore, a place that ultimately proved rewarding. When she accepted that people were actively seeking growth through Instagram, she was able to fully channel her skill into something that had high demand. There were over 25 million businesses on Instagram as of 2020, with 73% of teens saying that Instagram is the best way to advertise to them. When Rachel started, it was before all of this, but it was still booming. It was at the new frontier of social media marketing, and there was a need, and she was prepared to fill it. Regardless of her success, she couldn't ignore the gnawing desire to equip others with the tools to succeed. The only thing that felt not aligned was that I didn't feel I was actually helping people understand how to provide for themselves. And what was really frustrating is that I was doing so much good work. They were growing and their audience was targeted. They would email me and say, Rach, I love this. I don't want to stop. But the fact is I'm not getting a return on this investment. And I just, I need to pause for a few months. And to my business, that would be a big hit. And I was also just upset that they were giving up. And I didn't understand why they weren't able to convert the followers, especially when I was working my tail off to get them the right types of followers. And I knew that they had them. I would say, let's just get on a call and let's run through your funnel and let's run through your website and look at what kind of content you're posting so that we can figure out what the problem is here. Because I know that your traffic is good, but let me see what you can do on your end to optimize this. And for the clients who took me up on that offer, we had a consultation. And by the end of it, they were like, thank you so much. This is so valuable. Do you like do this on the side? Is this something I can add into my package? And so I said, sure, yeah. I'm like, I don't know, it's $500 a session. Just cringing to myself, like they're going to say no. And they were all like, yeah, for sure. And so I got booked out with these $500 consultations. Wait, wait, you got booked out at $500 when you had been like a little bit timid to even suggest that number? Yes. Were you surprised? I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. 
And I just remember thinking, I'm so dumb. <laughs> I could have been charging something like this the entire time. I was too scared to ask for my worth. And so once I really felt confident about my worth, the work that started emerging for me was so much more potent and meaningful because I was putting my whole entire heart and soul into it, knowing that I was getting paid what I was worth and knowing that the other person had skin in the game. give them all the services in the world, you can give them all the templates and the scripts in the world, but unless you're working on changing the way that person is able to fish for themselves, like the classic quote, fish for a man and he'll eat for a day. Teach a man how to fish and he'll eat his entire life. That's a switch that I started to realize. Oh, I can teach what I know. So then these consultations got booked out. And when I say booked out, I probably mean I was doing one per day. They took a lot of energy out of me. They were like two hour long sessions. But that was $500 a day. Yeah, I was feeling so incredibly blessed. But then I realized after doing this for a few weeks and raising my prices, I don't feel right about just charging, you know, $1,000 just for like an hour of my time. There has to be a better way to scale this information and make it more available for people. And so I realized I was basically saying the same thing to all of my clients that were booking consultations, just in different ways. So what I did is I packaged everything that I had said to my clients and I, through mapping up that process, I realized I had the opportunity to make an online course about it and then sell it to my clients. Or if anyone else on the side wanted it instead of my Instagram growth, I could offer that. So that's where I started to become excited again by the fact that I could be a consultant or a coach. And it was this crazy moment where I realized, oh... I'm ready to be a coach now because I have people begging me for this information and I want to give it to them. But I'm a business coach. This is strange. I never expected to be a business coach. It's not what I set out to be. And through that pure intention of simply just learning and being curious and wanting to help, I was able to formulate something that people genuinely found value in. That was my first coaching course. Rachel's willingness to listen and learn allowed her to transform her experiences into insight for others who were eager to improve. She recognized the dependency that her clients had on the skills she was offering. Sure, this was lucrative, but she wanted to be able to apply tools that they could use all on their own. A quote by Benjamin Franklin encapsulates a concept Rachel is getting at. Tell me and I forget. Teach me and I remember. Involve me and I learn. She wanted to provide a cohesive outline that guided clients so they could find success on their own. It was like providing the training wheels so one day they could ride in the Tour de France. This was the work that actually excited Rachel. And now she was there by basically refusing to lose track of what were, in a sense, her core guiding principles. I had a deep, insatiable, passionate desire to fulfill my own potential, to learn, and to serve. That is it. And those three ingredients just happen to fit precisely into a coaching career. I get to realize my potential every single day. The more seriously I take my personal development within my business, and I get to serve, and I get to really help people put food on the table. It's a very unique and rewarding experience 
But I think the number one catalyst of my rapid growth, because I'm sitting here today and at 25 years old, I never expected to reach any of this before the age of 50 or 60. And I honestly did not put anything on my vision board about the amount of money that I was going to make or the amount of impact or team members that I was going to have. It just happened because I believe that when you have such a pure and pristine and transparent purpose, humanity organizes itself to assist you in fulfilling that mission, especially if it benefits humanity. Life gives to that which gives life. So I believe that if I am focused on something that is giving life to humanity, I believe that humanity does organize itself to assist in that mission. And I've been very convicted in that for a very long time. One thing that I always tell myself is I'm more interested in the truth than in being right. And so when I was able to pivot and I was able to listen to the market rather than what I wanted to do in my own heart, I was really just on a learning journey and I was less interested in following my own agenda of the perfect way it needed to be for myself. And I was more interested in whatever life was trying to teach me at that time. And so I have this vision of myself with my hands open, standing in front of the universe. And I'm just standing there and I'm looking at this mystery of life. And I just say to this mystery of life and whatever created it, teach me. I have no agenda other than to learn. So whatever you've got for me, I would love to see it. And that just happens to be a dynamic life, a dynamic series of opportunities in business, in relationships, in consciousness. It's been wild. And I believe that that mindset of really just standing in front of this mystery of life and just being open and receptive and wanting to grow, wanting to learn and having an earnest intention to just, just teach me, you know, show me the way, show me what I'm missing so that I can grow and that I can just learn. I think that's a really beautiful way to approach life. And so that's what I try to do. And I mess up, but that's what I try to do every single day. To release one's own agenda, to be at the disposal of the universe and be prepared to absorb whatever experiences that universe may hand you takes an unwavering faith in the unknown. It's the humility to say, I don't have all the answers, but I'm willing to learn. This is the approach to life that Rachel has taken. It's an inspiring image to visualize a person, small in comparison to everything else, facing the cosmos and embracing fate. This did make me wonder, however, whether there is a conflict between the restless drive to pursue achievement and the message of simplicity that's so often associated with spiritual well-being. Can one balance both? But Rachel weaves them together so they can exist in symbiosis, benefiting one another in perpetuity. If you nurture the universe, the universe will nurture you. And the growth Rachel was about to experience demonstrated just that. Once I scaled this information into an online course, the growth that I experienced from that point onward was extreme. It was volatile. It was faster than I expected it would be. And it gave me further proof that I was doing something that was not only making sense, like the Instagram agency, but this time it was aligned and I was passionate about it. And that is truly what supercharged this growth. 
but I was able to grow a team. The 27 turned into 48, 48 turned into 69, which I was very pleased about that number. And then 69 turned into 114, 114 turned into 216. And that's where we like to keep the number right now. I've pretty much capped it at 216 students per launch just to keep everything under control. It's a business course. And once you're inside, you start to realize it's so much more than business. To me, having a business and being self-employed and going off on this independent, wild pathway that nobody has walked before in your lifetime is an experiment in how much uncertainty you can dance with. And to dance with the uncertainty and the mystery of life, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? And then to dance with the detective of how to make this work. Why is it not working? And then to deal with your inner child, which is scared shitless and wants security and safety now. Man, you're dealing with a lot of stuff. So it's not really just about business. It's never actually about business. And when people treat business as a one-dimensional learning experience, they'll find that their clients start falling off your clients start getting blocked and self-sabotaging and nobody really knows why. But when you get into a container, which is what I'm proud to have built, uh, that combines the personal development elements of who are we becoming and what mission are we on and what are we serving the world with, it becomes an adventure of a lifetime. it seems like people like are really seeing the value in what you're creating. Like I know in July you made a million dollars in 30 days. It's like, I think that just speaks to the level of value that you're giving people. Yeah. I, I'm very confident that there's nothing like what I've built on the market because one of my hinging points in my business is knowing that I'm doing the best job out of everyone else. <laughs> so what my dad taught me very early on about how having high standards, I still have that. Yes, my business was able to generate $1 million in 30 days. But the coolest part about that entire process was learning and tracking my clients' growth, taking them from like pretty much zero business. And together, collectively, they were able to generate almost the same amount of money. And that's my dream, right? Like to have the currency come in and then the money flow out. And then it, like, it's just an energy exchange at that point. And that's my goal is to get everyone up to the same amount so that we can help the world experience more goodness. Because when we combine personal development and a spiritual openness to everything we do in life, whether it's business, fitness, it becomes a completely different game. So that's what I'm teaching my clients how to create is their own mini vortexes of reality shift. It's a beautiful thing. The desire to channel good into the world, to make a tangible difference, this is a beautiful thing. Rachel's journey of self-discovery depicts her pursuit for alignment, balance between work, personal fulfillment, and the common good. When she was 18, boarding that flight to Australia, she never imagined she would be earning seven figures by 23. But now, she not only gets to talk about it, she gets to teach it. It's difficult to assign monetary value to knowledge. Rachel initially had a hard time with it herself. But passion mixed with experience is hard to come by. There's a need for it. And Rachel was willing to meet that need. After so much volatility, 
So much treading into the unknown, Rachel linked hands with her calling. It wasn't in the way she anticipated, not at that first love seminar from many years ago, but it revealed itself to her all the same. Coaching has allowed her to achieve the equilibrium she's pursued for so long. So maybe this serves as a reminder that we too can stand hands open to the universe, looking at the cosmos spinning in ceaseless motion, saying, teach me, I'm prepared to learn. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner. Our audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from Joseph Cho, Matt Fernandez, Spencer Khan, Sophia Donner, Shannon O'Halloran, Jess DeSena, Sebastian Gazada, Samuel Stenica, and Maura Lynch. Our writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen with support from Avnish Sengupta, Prerika Chavla, Mitchell Lynn, Lise Caldwell, Jessica Gung, Zachary Loudermilk Batia, Kylie McCreary, Lauren Pomerantz. Our outreach and research lead is Jessica Lynn with support from Sasha Ivanova, Marie Vaughn, Lisa Lett, Ankita Numbiar, Sarah Hobson, Gary Zeng, and Melody Sopani. Our design and social media team lead is Ling Meng Hu, with support from Tiffany Dang, Ayla Erickson, Shruti Ramanand, Carlo Duwakaba, and Alana Donnelly. The video editing team is Eli Lawrence, with support from Melanie Mack and Nina Maravich. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.